Welcome to the Cinema Draft Podcast, presented by DraftStream, a discussion show about movies, gaming, and the unexpected cultural detours that color our life. Please enjoy your stay and enjoy the show. It's your boy, Wardo Jackson, CEO, founder, creator of the great Cinema Draft and DraftStream Games, where daily fancy sports meets movies. Our guest this week, we have yet another Bransky slacker, the slack where it all happens, from <laughs> the program from the Bay Area, the one with the best nails I know, Emily White. Hello. Yes, go on, Emily. Our Andy Cohen inspired Watch What Happens lifestyle drinking game word tonight shall be the word pretty. Because every time you hear one of us say this word, take a sip. What you sipping? Do I do it too? Oh, uh, please, please do. Please please do. But you are part of the pod tonight. Uh, And we're going to end up covering movies that feature some of the prettiest costumes you'll ever want to see. All right. So, Emily, this is a segment where I usually ask people to tell me something good. We are eight days out from this hellacious. Well, actually, no, we're we're a full week. We're like a week away, right? Like next, exactly. Tuesday, next Tuesday, this election ends, or at least phase one and a half ends. Who, so. Yeah, who knows how that's gonna end? But and, and, uh, actually, we normally record on Tuesdays. Recording Tuesday now. Next week, we'll be recording on Wednesday because ain't nobody want to see these problems. I mean, actually, fun fun fact: uh, four years ago. Uh, when I had the initial Cinema Draft alpha test running, I actually recorded on on uh, on election night. Oh, and that, no. was, that was some bullshit. <laughs> yeah, you were just like watching Twitter, like being like, "Okay, I'm trying to pay attention, but this is a nightmare." It was pretty yeah, interesting, and I think it might have been a solo pod too because I was feeling very antisocial. Yeah, so, tell I mean, me I something. Like- tell me, tell, tell me something good, Emily. Tell me something that'll take my mind off these next seven days. Um, I don't know if you're as much a fan of Halloween as I am, but I love Halloween, and that's okay. this week. So, are you I from mean, Vegas? Because Vegas is very big on Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've never even been to Vegas. Oh. Uh, no, I just like dressing up. I don't know. I've always liked dressing up. Like ever since I was little, I always liked horror movies, and I mean, obviously, this year it's like mostly canceled. But um, I mean, well, I live right by a park. This year? What's your costume this year? gonna be a burger (laughs) um i mean i'm just i live right by a park so i'm just gonna have some friends like come do a picnic and we're all gonna dress up and like i don't know eat snacks and stuff but halloween's fun so that's my the wildest uh, costume you see out there because you know every year someone picks something usually out of pop culture that's fun early early in the early in in the clubhouse is going to be maybe something tiger king related but you know that seems so I mean, the pandemic, I mean, is like dog years. It seems so long ago. I mean, I don't know. Well, what do you think is going to be the, the funniest costume you're going to see up there? I have no idea. I mean, yeah, I feel like def- there's definitely going to be some Tiger Kings and, you know, queens and princesses. Uh, I, otherwise, I mean, we haven't had like a big superhero movie or anything like that. I feel like there's going to be some like, there's, I feel like there's going to be people dressed as like Mike Pence with the fly on his head, like that kind of stuff. <laughs> that, but, that'd be a good one. That sounds good. Yeah. Like, or like Mitch McConnell's like dead hands. Like, oh, wow. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. What's going on there? All right. Yeah. Well, you are on the show with no segue. So we're going to go into our next segment and it is what we're watching. My favorite segment of the show. And first thing I'm going, and actually let me share my screen. So share with you what I am initially watching. And that is 537 votes. Are you familiar with this new documentary, Emily? I was not until you sent me the outline for the podcast. And then I watched it this morning. (laughs) Did you? First Uh of all, number one, you're always welcome back. You did your homework. Number two, <laughs> we have people who come on this podcast, long-running veterans of this podcast who refuse to read the rundown, so you're already good in my books. <laughs> and number two, let me ask you, what did you think of 537 votes? 
Um, I thought it was good. I like really, I was very young when all this happened. Like I, it was 2000, which I was like 12 or so. I vaguely remember, like, I definitely remember the election because like, you know, every adult talked about it a lot. And I vaguely remember the stuff with Elian Gonzalez, but I was, yeah, like in middle school. So, um, but I thought it was pretty well made. It was like, I honestly, I kind of watched it a little bit in the background, um, when I was doing some other stuff, but yeah, oh, no, yeah this, is, this is perfect third screen materials. I like to say third monitor material, and that's mm -hmm. how I watched it as well. But I, and I'm a bit of a self self professed political junkie, and uh, I it was interesting to me because at the time, like you were, you know, super young. I was fairly young. I was so we're talking year two thousand. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, self-absorbed, you know, couch surfing, LA actor, writer, wannabe. So I wasn't even really paying attention that much what was going on in Florida, but what yeah. about 537 votes. And for those who are not familiar, this deals with basically the run-up to the 2000 election and how GOP literally stole and shut down the recount in Florida, which decided the election for the entire nation. And of course, changed the course of history in so many different ways. It was a bit of an eye opener because I kind of knew what what I kind of knew what had gone on. I watched the HBO special recount, which was fun, which is you know, which was good, but it didn't really sink in until I watched this thing. How deeply mm -hmm. seen the local Miami politics were to the national effort, and just also just the chicanery and how. And there was a great uh, quote in there. I think I tweeted it uh, about how one of the the interviewees says that you know about the time during the recount, you know, Democrats were 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 focused on on trying to do what's right republicans were focused on trying to win and that sums up you know in a nutshell our current you know uh uh two-party politics in this country right now and i just hope we shake out of it because it really is a bit of a warning signal on what could happen in a tightly contested election if we let it Ugh. yeah so bad yeah yeah it was wild to me like i mean just thinking that that's all 20 years ago, like watching that, I was like, oh, everyone's so young. And I was like, well, yeah, I was in middle school. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, and, and, and then also being introduced to new, at least new to me, characters like the cowardly uh, Miami mayor, uh, Alex Pinellas. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I've never seen such a profile in cowardice in my life. He's Yeah, wow. that was crazy. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of stuff happened to this. That was really, that was really interesting. And also the straight line they draw, and, and it's from the director of Cocaine Cowboys. Now, I'm not sure if you've watched that. I have not seen that, no. That is a trip and a half. And I actually watched that that about, um, I guess, in 2008 myself, and that's just a wild ride. I watched mm -hmm. both the Cocaine Cowboys. There's like two of them movies and uh, it's from that same director um, Billy Corbin I get he I guess he's you know from South uh, South Florida really knows that that territory well and it was just really interesting to see how they drew a straight line from Elian Gonzalez uh, fiasco which mm -hmm. for you who are super young <laughs> we and like hey hey little Stevie Steph Torrey <laughs> you too when all this happened mm -hmm. uh, yep uh, Elian Gonzalez was a Cuban refugee whose parents died on the way over in like in like a, a boating accident, and there's a big kind of political legal tug of war whether he should be deported back to Cuba, you know, via the courts, or he should you know be granted asylum and stay in. And he's like, and he was like five or six years old, so he's super young, and mm -hmm. he eventually gets sent back to Cuba. And let's just say the Cuban Americans of Miami never forgot. And that kind of helps explain yeah. why you know they've been voting largely Republican for you know decades now, which always was over my head. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was five hundred thirty-seven votes. One of the things I'm watching. The other thing I'm watching, and I can't wait to talk about this because I've been running my mouth ever since I finished it this afternoon, is the Queen's Gambit. It's now, so good. Yeah. I, I'm like so surprised how much I liked it because I I played probably one game of chess. And I wasn't interested in it really. And like, I i mean, I really like Anya Taylor-Joy. So I was like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. And it was so good. Um, excellent. A limited mini series, fictional. And everyone's wondering, oh, did this actually happen? Because- they, Yeah, I looked her up. She's not real. <laughs> yeah, she's not real. Not real. Uh, because they place this back in the, the late 50s, early 60s, early to, to late 60s. And it's basically about a, a child chess prodigy who kind of comes into her own amidst a lot of personal tragedy in her life uh, while growing up in the 60s. And it's just, yeah, I mean, it's a star-making performance at Anya Taylor-Joy. I mean, she'd already been getting some really good parts 
I was first exposed to her back in the movie Split, which I thought she was mm-hmm. great in. And, you know, she comes, you know, she does have like a bit of a model-esque, like, you know, stature and look to her. Real big eyeballs. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) big eyeballs, right? You know, small head, big eyeballs. And uh, and she she does actually come from that that world originally. I guess she was scattered when she was 16. But she's just really a compelling figure because you see her character grow from like a really inward. I mean, she still is a bit self-possessed, but she's really, you know, to herself, you know, uh, dead eye stare, you know, you ask her stupid questions, just kind of sit there, you know, and, you know, making you feel stupid for asking it, kind of like my ex girlfriend mm-hmm. do. <laughs> and it's just very, she's very good at like, like this kind of, you know, soul piercing stare to, to see her kind of grow into her own character, very stylish, very fashion forward, shit talking, you know, win at all costs type of chess player. And they make chess look fun. I mean, it's mm-hmm. awesome. I know. I'm like, maybe I should go buy a chess board. I won't, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's so stylish and like the way that they do the chess games, like they pace it in like a way that I feel like is very different than how chess is actually played. Cause it's a lot of like waiting around for people, but like, yeah, as, uh, the score is incredible. The fashion's incredible. Like I liked all of like the random little other characters. Also, I did not realize until, um, until like I looked it up that her mom or her adopted mom was Marielle Heller. Yeah, now what now what is now who is Mariel Heller to you? Because name itself yeah, it, know her. She directed um that movie where Tom Hanks plays Mr. Rogers. Oh she's like a really? director. She's a director. Yeah, she's a director and acts like every once in a while now. Um yeah, she's really like she's really good. She um I'm trying to think what else she was in. Um She's been in like very random projects, but yeah, she's like, I've seen her on, like she was even in some of those um, like Hollywood Reporter, like director roundtables and stuff. And she's just like, got very interesting. She's also married to Jorma, um, Jorma Takone. Is that how you say his last name? Oh, the guy, really? The Lonely Island guy. Oh, from Lonely Island guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. Which is, I think pop star was on her. I think she was in that. Um, but yeah, she's she's a very interesting character. Like her, cho- she makes interesting choices, and also is a good director. Like I think she's kind of like doing more interesting directing than acting nowadays. You know what? It makes sense. If she's in Pop Star, that's totally Lonely Island. So that makes mm-hmm. total sense. Never Pop Star, never stop stopping. Which I never thought. <laughs> I probably said I've heard it's fun. Yeah, no, yeah, it, it's it's fun. It, it's really funny. And okay, this oh wow, that's that's interesting. I never, I did not know that about her that she's oh, yeah, beautiful. Oh, she, and she did. Can you ever forgive me? Which is insanely good. Did you see that one with uh, Melissa McCarthy playing the person yes. who? Yeah, that was that, her. Oh, that was great. Her. She she made that movie. Oh, she that made was great. A hundred percent. I mean, look at all this value adding to the pod. Okay, go ahead, Emily. That that movie is so good. Um. Uh, what's his name? Richard E. Grant. He's yeah. so good at it. I forget who got Best uh, Supporting Actor that year, but I feel like he should have gotten it. Sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Me and me and the draft mom, we we saw this in the theater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very. Oh wow! Look at that. All right. Yeah. So Meryl Heller, uh, yeah. she plays uh, uh, Beth's adopted mom because the whole thing, the, the early setup, not much of a spoiler, is that her her mom dies in like this uh, tragic car crash <clears throat> and she's been an orphan. Yeah, that's like the first two minutes, not a spoiler. Yeah, exactly. And so she's uh, so she grows up in an orphanage, which is where she learns how to play chess. And I just, I mean, this whole thing, I'm I'm still in awe. I just finished the the series. It's a mini series, limited series. Only seven episodes, kind of Brit fishing in its style, where a lot happens in every episode. Like they, they really kind of go for it, and I just, I mean, I'm just kind of agog at this whole thing. I mean, the, the, the music, I can't get over. I went out to, I went on to Apple Music, you know, downloaded immediately, had to have it, uh, and the way they, and like you said, the production values of this show, I mean, it's just, it's just, they're so sneaky good. I mean, everything, you know, it looks like. A million bucks kind of i mean you know they didn't spend that much on it but like it feels mm-hmm. like really rich of the period everyone looks good everyone you know uh like the the, the design the, the the production design and the costuming and then and also the cinematography like the way they shot the chess it makes it look like they're like a really exciting mind sport it probably and like is. the stuff on the ceiling is really cool that Her, was like, way of 
visualizing the games when she like couldn't play. Yeah, just everything about it. I was like shocked at how much I liked it. It really is brilliant. I, I think I complained in our Slack group and also I think uh, I might have tweeted this out too. Like, why can't someone, you know, shoot poker to look like that? Because my, my roots are in poker. And it's like, there's, there's only been like one really good poker movie ever. And then, I mean, chess, yeah, kind of hit or miss, but this really makes chess look super glamorous. I don't know if it'll spark like a boom of people playing chess, but I mean, it really did well by the, by the mind. <laughs> That'll be the next the next quarantine activity of people just being like, okay, I need people, I need people to play chess with. <laughs> and, and, and 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 curl your hair into a bob and wear like nice little mm-hmm. options, like sixty. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what I'm watching. I'm I'm still buzzing about this this show. What else are you watching, Emily? Um, I watched uh, the David Burns American Utopia today, and really? it's so. Yeah, it's like it's a filmed. I guess it was it was a Broadway show, and um, Spike Lee directed it. And it's just like the cinematography, like the fact that it's like a live show. Like so, the lighting is really interesting, and the way it's shot. Like there's a lot of like really cool overhead shots um, where like the lights are like in squares, and like people are like dancing in the squares, and like it's got very like the actual stage itself, like mostly just has that like curtain, and they're all like wearing these suits the whole time. Um, but like just the way it's done is really interesting. Like there's dancers and like um, people like you know playing instruments all on stage, and like um, there were a couple parts that like definitely made me cry that were so good. Really. Um, yeah, it was just like really good. I mean, he's great. Um, I've always really liked him and uh, the Talking Heads. So, and it's funny you mentioned that because it was in our talent pool last week, mm-hmm. and I think it did. Let's see, David Burns, American YouTube. Oh, this is this week. Actually, okay, it was, it was two weeks ago. Well, I remember doing well. I like scored over 100. Most you can score in, in our game is 130 per, uh, per title. Mm-hmm. So, if you get over 100, you're doing pretty well. And it kind of seemed like it came out of nowhere. Like I wasn't expecting you to do that that well, but people really liked mm-hmm. it. Got really good reviews and audience liked it. Yeah, it was really, really fun to watch. Like definitely if you like David Byrne or Talking Heads like at all, it's very worth watching. Or just like, it's just a very cool like concert experience. Because mm-hmm. um, it is like, it is filmed live. So there's an audience there. And like, I, you know, just like watching the audience reacting to him and everything like that, which is the thing that, Obviously, we haven't gotten to do in quite a while. Uh, just yes. very fun to watch. All right. And so uh, what's another title you're watching, Emily? Uh, what else have I watched? Um, hmm. I mean, most of the other things I've been watching lately, I've been, like, preparing to for this. So. <laughs> the prepared guest. <laughs> what a lot of stuff. Gene Ice, are you listening? This is what a prepared guest looks like. All right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's good i mean we're between between the queen's gambit which you know i'm sure took up your time as well as mine and david burns american utopia you're clearly quarantining right good job <laughs> by you and we're gonna go on to the meat of our subject this week top five costume design movies now for those of you who are new to the pod the rules are like thus name a movie that uh, one of us names a movie that features great costume design. We alternate picks. When someone picks a movie, the movie is out of play. And as always, guests go first. What do you got for your first film, Emily? Um, my first one is Velvet Goldmine. Um, right. Have you seen Velvet Goldmine? I actually have not. And I feel like I came close several times, but I never quite got there. But as far as you not picking the movie I thought you were going to pick, I feel good about this so far. So oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know what you think I'm going to pick. That's <laughs> <laughs> fun. Um, yeah, Velvet Goldmine, it's um, it's a Todd Haynes movie, which, like, honestly, any Todd Haynes movie could go in this. Um, the director or the costume designer um, is Sandy Powell, who's done, like, a lot of really good movies with costumes. Like, she's done... familiar, yeah. Yeah, she did um, other Todd Haynes ones, like Carol and... Um, Far From Heaven. She's done a lot of Martin Scorsese stuff, Ooh, too. Costumes and Carol, by the way. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. That takes us into cultural cul-de-sac, but yeah, there's some good costumes. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I, I definitely, this movie came out, like, in 98, but I watched it, like, in high school, and I just loved it. Like, I love, it's very glamorous. Like, there's a lot of yeah, different, right. like, kind of, um, 
like different sort of styles. It goes back and forth between different time frames. So like it's a very since it's it's about like basically like a David Bowie type character, but David Bowie didn't actually want to be associated with it. <laughs> okay. um, and so like it goes with like the fans of the of the band have like very um very interesting costumes like when he's like very young he's like kind of got like a long-haired hippie style uh ewan mcgregor has like a very like kurt cobain kind of style almost and like tony collette's just always fabulous and you know uh, and, and just that cast you're rattling off i mean damn i'm i now i'm putting i'm actually uh trying to put this on my list because this sounds I mean, the costume looks crazy this is just it's like, crazy <laughs> like the costumes are really elaborate and cool um so yeah, Velvet Goldmine. Watch yeah, it. It's, it's it's on my list. I'm adding it to my list right now. <laughs> right after Marie Antoinette from our girl KSK, her first appearance on the pod. She's like, gotta watch Marie Antoinette. So yeah. <laughs> also a great movie. Yeah. All right. So my first one, I'm definitely taking this off the board because I'm sure it's if it's not in your top five, it's probably in your top ten, whether you know it or not. And that is going to be if I could switch it there we go phantom thread oh yeah good one that was not on my top 10 but good oh. one i thought about it. Ooh, i got scared though i figured that would be like just the most obvious choice because i mean first of all i mean dale day lewis of course coming out of the the cave or whatever to give get to drop another great performance another obsessive meticulous performance but he plays uh, I mean, I'm, what's the right word? It's not a costumier, but like he he basically designs clothes. He's a clothier. Yeah, right? he's a he's a designer. He like owns he like owns a fashion house basically. Like he, I've kind of always thought his character was sort of like Christian Dior or someone like that. Like kind mm -hmm. of an old. I mean, it takes place, you know, in the fifties, sixties, or something. So it's like an old school costume designer, like fashion designer, I guess. I mean, the, I mean, obviously the clothes are exquisite because it's all about the clothes. And actually, do you do we know who did the clothes, the clothing design for this? I know off the top of my head. Oh, okay, uh, I thought it might have been like someone famous, like Tom Ford or somebody did all the. I I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's got a it's got a small but but striking cast. I was I'm totally I was totally new to Vicky Creeps Creeps. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if you'd seen her in something before. But I, she was a revelation to me because you needed someone to go toe to toe with Daniel Day Lewis and his totally obsessive, bit monstrous uh, of a of a designing titan of a character. And she holds her own. She's slightly subversive. She's always kind of mm -hmm. you know murmuring some shit talk under her breath or whatever. And always throwing him a little bit off balance. He thinks he can control her because she's his muse, but he can't quite. And then their whole relationship literally is kind of toxic, but it works. Yeah, yeah actually toxic. <laughs> actually. Um, the scene I just pointed at the last picture when it came up, I forgot about how lovely that, um, that like New Year's scene is so beautiful. Yeah. All, all the balloons, all the colors and stuff. And then, yeah, they're all, they're well-dressed throughout because as I mentioned, he is a clothing designer and and fashion and looking good is his business. But he sees her, uh, he, he finds her as, you know, a waitress in some, you know, around the way, uh, small village, whatever. Uh, and he's, he's just taken with her, muse style. And, uh, and look, as a bit of an artist myself, writer, whatever, I have had a moment or two where you see someone, for whatever reason, you're like, oh shit. Like, oh, yeah. maybe, maybe <laughs> I mean, not that's so much like, like that's the one, but more like she inspires me. I'll, you know, quick culture, mm -hmm. sack, I'll never forget summer 2004, spending the summer in DC. Uh, we go up to New York for a party, <laughs> Ricky, Ricky and the All Stars. There's <laughs> a bunch of women who are, I think they're all turning around 30, whatever, and they're all like su successful black women, just, you know, lawyers and doctors. Met a woman who ran like a McDonald's fran you know, franchise, you know, quite as kept. A million dollars in the year if you just turn the lights on. No joke, McDonald's. So, anyway, so all these women with great jobs, you know, you know, something educated about themselves. We're at this party, we're all dancing. I'll never forget the 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 uh, song "Lean Back." On that scene, <laughs> oh my God, Ooh, Edwin, where are you now? And it was like, lean back, 
lean back. And I just kind of lean back. Like, and, and, and I even wrote about this shit because it was so magical. And we, and, you know, it's kind of silent up to her. And we were just like leaning back. We we're dancing the night away. And then I was so inspired. When I got home, I wrote a fucking screenplay. <laughs> so oh, wow. And I said it to her, I mean, she wasn't the main character. The main character was totally different from her, but it was inspired by her. And she's like, yeah, I never read a screenplay before, but this is awesome. I loved it. I'm like, yes. <laughs> so I know what it's like. I know what it's like to just kind of stumble into somebody, find a muse, have them inspire you, and then try to, you know, bottle it and channel it into something productive. And that's exactly what yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis's, uh, what was it, Reynolds Woodcock? <laughs> Reynolds Woodcock. Reynolds Woodcock. <laughs> Hilarious name. So, I mean, that name tells you all you need to know about this character. Reynolds yeah. Woodcock, uh, uh, clothing designer, that's what happens kind of hit, you know, to him when he sees um, Vicky Kripp's character. I can't remember her name for life of me, but it was, that was his muse. And it is, it goes along to interesting, sometimes comical, sometimes deadly effect. It was great. I loved it. Phantom Did you see how Vicky Kripps is going to be in um, some new Netflix movie with John David Washington that's coming out next year? That was just announced today, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. I did see that. Yeah. She is. I mean, yeah. I forget what it was called already, but I'm in. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. I, I'm in too. Yeah, because she did a lot. I mean, I guess she was a bit of a big deal over in like Belgium or something where she's from, but, uh, you know, states. Yeah. Oh, and Das Boot. That's right. She was in. Oh, uh, yeah. She's I in the TV show. Das Boot. <laughs> I, I started to watch it. It's not bad. I just got sidetracked yeah. from many shows. All right. So, what's your second film? My second pick is In Fabric, um, which is directed by. Peter Strickland, and it is a horror movie that is about a dress that kills people. Wait, what? Uh, <laughs> not really a spoiler. It's, you know, like literally on that poster. Um, so it's a movie about um, this woman goes to a department store. It's Marianne Jean Baptiste, who's incredible in it. And she goes to this wacky department store. This lady's name is uh, Mrs. Luckmore, the lady with the bald head. And she's um, like the department store person. And she convinces her to buy this dress, which is um, described as artery red. I'm wearing an artery red dress just, you know, to keep okay. with the theme. Right. And it's just like, very, very stylized. The like the dress itself is great, but like also the rest of the fashion is fantastic. Um, Gwendolyn Christie is in it randomly, and she has black hair. And I did not recognize her when I saw it in the theater until like her third scene. Um, it's just yeah, it's a very wild like fashion movie. Um, the dress like basically um, it like goes between different people. Oh, yeah, that's Gwendolyn Christie. <laughs> oh, 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 oh wow, I did not. She looks very that. different with black hair. Um, and, and yes, someone between her thighs too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, between her thighs. Yeah. Um, and the dress like basically like it goes between different people, and um, it like mostly. It, Primarily follows Mary and Jean Baptiste, but it goes like to a dude's, as they call it in England, what the like stag do their like bachelor party. Okay. Like they have him dress in the dress at that and, you know, hijinks. Like, and if you put the dress in, um, in a washing machine, it like ruins the washing machine and makes the washing machine try and hurt you. Wow. It's just, it's amazing. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, very, very stylized. The people who work at the department store um, all wear these like really weirdly old timey costumes with these like, I don't know what you call it, but like a like little cape flutter thing like from their shoulders. Um, also, the costumes in this movie are done by um, Joe Thompson, who, fun fact, did the first season of Fleabag. Whoa, okay. Yeah. Um, not the second. She didn't do the, the iconic jumpsuit. Ah. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's a very, very pro Fleabag podcast here, so we love it. Exactly, I figured. Um, yeah, just a very, Peter Strickland is a very, like, um, like, I don't know, like, gauzy is the way I would describe the way his movies are filmed. Like, very, very colorful and very, like, just kind of, I don't know, weird and fun. Um, well, I have, absolutely have nothing to add to that, but it sounds like a hoot in fabric is mm -hmm. second film. My second film is going to be Moulin Rouge. You want to talk about 
Love Moulin Rouge. I, I mean, it's I mean, it's just it's an orgy for the eyes. Number one, but yeah. number two, when I when I actually sat and thought about this, because I was this, I believe if not this movie, maybe it was Chicago. No, Chicago came after it. It might have been this movie that kicked off, or maybe it was Hairspray the year before. But there was a there was a stretch where I did not get with musicals at all. It's I mean, and to an extent today, it still makes no sense to me when people just break out and start singing. It's kind of annoying, but. I like good musical these days, mostly because I was trained properly at the feet of movies in the early aughts like Moulin Rouge. And this movie, mm-hmm. I mean, and I know a lot of people complain about it because it, it's something about like the, the frame rates like jacked up and like so many cuts and this is like, it, it really is like a, an overwhelming, you know, uh, an overwhelming experience for your senses. I was I, obsessed with this movie when it came out. I loved it so much. I dig, I dig that. I mean, give give me the excess. Give me the orgy. Give me something to watch three, four, or five times to catch everything I missed because so much is coming at you. And one of the big things about this movie was the costuming. So many bright primary colors, mm-hmm. always in in motion, always in opposition to themselves, always just like you know, you know. I mean, you've got a great cast and everything. The music is incredible. I bought the soundtrack. I wore that. Oh, I had it absolutely. <laughs> Work that CD out, Emily. And I mean, look, I mean, just, I mean, you have, and I'm sure they probably made her up to look even paler than she probably is in, in real life, but just like the striking contrast, the alabaster skin, the bright red dress, the gold frame. I mean, every shot is like a work of art, and the costumes definitely contribute to that. I'm pretty sure it got nominated for, for something with this. With it costume. did. I, I went and saw um, Baz Luhrmann talk at, um, a film festival right Ooh. after this movie came out because it was like the anniversary of Strictly Ballroom, which was also an incredible Baz Luhrmann movie. I honestly like should have included it because I love it. Um, but yeah, John Leguizamo, great. Every yeah, great movie. Great, great movie. Great, great movie. Great songs to you. I, I enjoyed it. What is your third film, Emily? Hmm. No, no. What's your what's your third film? Your next film? Oh, um. You know, I am going to do, I made a whole long list and decided some of these I would just decide right on, right at the time. Go with me. Uh, I'm going to do The Fifth Element next. Wow. You know what? I, that was in my <laughs> mental list earlier tonight. And then when I actually got sat down to start writing them down, I totally left it off. So well played. I love it. Great um, choice. Tell us why you like The Fifth Element for a best costume film. Well, I will acknowledge off the bat, Luke Besson is a bad person, just, you know, so we know. Uh, But the costumes are um, by Jean-Paul Gaultier, and Mm -hmm. he made, I was reading about it this morning, and he made, like, thousands of costumes. Like, he made, like, all, it wasn't like he, like, only did the main character's costumes. He did all of the costumes. Wow. Um, And he's just, like... He's incredible. I've always been a big Gautier fan, um, like to the extent that like the one of the museums here had an exhibit of his fashion and um, I went like three times. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a cool exhibit, like the way it was all set up, um, like uh, the Diva Plava Laguna's like crazy, um, like rubbery costume, Ruby Rod. Great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, fifth element. Very, very wacky movie. Great costumes. Great costumes. Great. I mean, pretty much great everything. A lot of colors. It's one of those, a lot of times we see glimpses of the future that look overly technocratic or too many darks and grays, whatever. This gave a really colorful view of the future that I really appreciated. And and yeah, run around. Come on, man. Come on. Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker was great. Come on, come on, man. Come on, come on. Yeah, that was that was a really good fun movie, and I've been meaning to rewatch it. It's 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 time. It's been probably about a good dozen mm-hmm. years since I've seen this. Yeah, Fifth Element. Oh, great movie, great catch. Uh, my third film is going to be yeah let's, yeah I like this one. Let's go with Black Panther. She won a freaking Oscar for this one. Ruth E. Mm-hmm. Carter, come get your flowers, girl. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the costumes in it are incredible. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, top to bottom, everyone, you know, has pretty much acknowledged what, you know, a seminal, you know, movie it is and 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 just everything around was really great. But the costumes were extremely intricate. And I remember watching, I think, maybe it was like a YouTube or something, but seeing her, you know, 
speak for about maybe 20 minutes about like the whole, her whole costuming process, how she really went into, you know, in, into like researching, you know, a, a vision of, of a kind of pan-Africanism, you know, futurist uh, vision of it that really, I mean, it's all kind of works. And a lot of times something like costumes kind of like refs in a, in a good, you know, uh, basketball game, whatever, kind of seen, but not really heard from. Like, you, know, you see it, you kind of don't necessarily, you know, notice it per se. And, and in this case, the costumes were so, like, good, striking, dramatic, felt realistic even for a superhero-ish world mm-hmm. and, and, a, and a, you know, a society that, you know, obviously doesn't exist. You know, don't tell, <laughs> don't, don't tell uh, 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 Cruz who said, like, or one of those politicians said, you know, talked about what kind of, like, his actual place. But it, right. it is an actual place, but there's the costumes are so grounded and steeped with their own kind of little history, even the little details in these costumes that it really felt like it had been around for, you know, 100 years or whatever, 200 years. Mm-hmm. It was really good. I mean, look at, I mean, just really it gives uh, such an ode to not only just the culture of of an African nation that had never been colonized to also uh, just like like the, the the colors, the way it kind of brings the personalities of the characters. I mean, it really went above and beyond. I love I love this. I mean, obviously I love this film, but I love the costuming in this film too. This Agreed. Yeah, I mean, some of them are like incredibly, like that picture is incredibly high fashion. Yeah. Like- uh, I as uh, Queen Ramonda, yes. Yeah, all of those costumes could absolutely be, especially the one in the middle, could absolutely be on like New York runways. Like they're incredible. They're very, very couture. Um, but also like don't really feel out of place like that seems like that you know that's what like would be what they'd wear i don't know yeah very very cool all right so what is your next film emily um i am going to do one that is a little more understated but just i rewatched this movie a couple months ago and i love the costumes in it so much it's i am love by Luca Guadagnino, starring Tilda Swinton. And I actually, when I was making my list, I had a very hard time picking Ooh. between Tilda Swinton movies. I like this, this one she right here. It looks very stylish. Mm-hmm. It's a great, like, beautiful, beautiful movie. Um, Tilda plays, like, uh, she, like, plays someone who lives in Italy, but she's from Russia, and she's learned Russian and Italian for the movie. And it goes, she's like a very kind of unhappy, um, I wouldn't call her a housewife. Like they're very, I don't know, maybe, but she's (laughs) just very unhappy in her marriage. And she ends up like meeting a much younger man. And like the way that her fashion changes throughout the movie, she goes from being like very, very like straight laced um, to very relaxed and it's just like, like fashion is just incredible. Like there's some scenes where she goes out to the countryside and she's wearing this like beautiful bright orange. Um, all of the costumes for this one are by, um, Rafe Simons for Jill Sander. Um, so they're all designer. And, um, the person who worked on the costumes with this one is the same person, um, not, it's a different like costume, I don't know, director or something like that worked on my brilliant friend, um, which I don't know if you watch, but also has incredible costumes. Um, but yeah, beautiful movie. Tilda's fantastic in it. Um, well, the thing about Luca is that, I mean, he definitely, I mean, definitely knows how to frame a shot. I mean, he's probably... Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, whereas I would say <clears throat> Michael Bay is to, like, commercial, you know, filmmaking, Luca is to kind of, like, gauzy, artistic, scenic mm-hmm. filmmaking. I mean, the guy, the man, I mean, just really can frame a shot. He really can. So yeah, I am intrigued. That, that's the orange dress where she goes to this, um, this man she meets like lives in a like far off smaller town. And um, she just like, I don't know. She's like radiant the whole movie, even mm-hmm. when she's like very unhappy with her husband. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was like uh, with like uh, Nancy Myers, uh, upper middle class, uh, uh, white people having problems and like, luxurious kitchens. I mean, if you can have problems, might as well look good doing it, right? Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. All right, so my fourth film, I have, oh man, I'm also going kind of to have to go with my gut because I have a few backups uh, in case you pick mine. But uh, okay. yeah, yeah, no, I mean, laugh at me if you want. I'd like to be prepared. Uh, and I've, but I, and I already know what I'm going to close out with. So I'm trying to figure, so this is truly going to be like one of my last picks, but I will go with uh, oh, it's so generic, but 
Okay, all right. I'm gonna go. You know what? Screw it. I'm gonna go with my gut. I'm gonna say I'm gonna go with Star Wars because I mean, talk about ahead of its time. Talk about out there costumes. Talk about just I mean, storytelling through clothing. They, I mean, Star Wars really nailed the trifecta. I mean, set up a whole. I mean, set up a whole everything. I mean, God. I mean, I was. I, mean, I was only two when it came out. I only really remember it when. No, no, I'm serious. It came out in '77. I, my, I guess my mom told me that my dad took us to see it or whatever. Fine, but I remember watching it as like an older kid, like four or five, or something. I really fell in love with it. But the costume, I mean, the costuming, everything pretty much on Star Wars is lit. But I mean, the costuming was like something you'd never seen before. Uh, in Star, well, can I just get to Star Wars here? Goodness gracious, here we go. <laughs> All right. I mean, they said, I mean, especially for the '70s. I mean, this thing came out in '77, so the means are probably shooting in '75, '76. I mean, just kind of like the vision. I mean, and this is a bit of a, a well, first of all, it's a very workmanlike vision of, of well, technically it's a long time ago and a galaxy far, far away, but the technology is so advanced, let's just consider it the future, right? Anyway, but it's such a vision of like sci-fi and that's very workmanlike, like things feel like they've been been lived in like everyone's kind of you know a little bit grungy a little sweaty han solo yeah he's this rogue whatever but when you first see him just chest out you know he's sitting here he's been like you know he's a smuggler he looks all smuggly you know a lot of times when you see him in the future it looks too pristine and clean no not this future and and a lot of these a lot of these costumes are very representative of like the worlds they're on so it's like tatooine so a lot of a lot of light colors because hot all the time and and it's just i mean and also signaling to, all right, we're going to put, you know, Leia in white because she's supposed to be good. And we're going to put Darth Vader in black because he's very, very bad. And mm -hmm. and it's just, I mean, a lot of storytelling through the costuming. And it really did. Did we get to some actual? There's a lot of, okay, here we, well, I guess this is fine. I mean, it's just, it's, the costuming served a lot of purposes at once. I'm not even sure if George Lucas knew exactly what he was doing when he set this up, but he really did give us some really cool mm -hmm. costume styles to run with. I mean, I know personally, I think I had like one of these little utility belts from, from Luke. Um, I don't think I had the, I think I had like a Han Solo, um, uh, what's that, vest, I think. Yeah, little vest mm -hmm. stuff. So, I mean, a lot of those styles kind of took off and, and yeah, they're iconic for all time. Yeah. So, Shout out to shout out to our friend CJ who was a child model for Star Wars costumes. <laughs> was he really? You know what? That 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 seems legit. Yeah. That's legit. Cool. Like, the, little, the little hoodie. Yeah, I love it. Star Wars. Mm -hmm. All right. So, what's your last film? Make it a good one, Em. My last one will be. I I'm gonna bring it back around. We're gonna circle it up, and I'm gonna pick the new Emma with Anya Taylor. Really? Uh, okay, do tell. That costume, that costume design is just great. Oh, it's like so it colorful. It's so detailed. Like everyone's costumes are so detailed. Like so just like there's just like there's that whole scene. You saw this movie, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that whole scene where they're in like the haberdashery, where they're like picking little fancy ribbons and stuff to go on their fancy hats and everything <laughs> like that. Um, this costume designer is um, surprising. Was um, Alexandra Byrne, who she's done a lot of like Marvel stuff. Like she did like the original Thor and Guardians of the Galaxy and Doctor Strange and stuff. So I was surprised when I saw that she did this because it's very different than that. But um, it's very like meticulous costume design. Um, so yeah, our girl Anya Taylor Joy. She really, she truly is our girl. And you'd think after spending well today, the you know two hours, and then over the course of the weekend, seven hours with her, yeah. I'd be sick of her. But I mean, I mean, even even with this and from Split, and I think I saw in one other one other thing that I'm like, you know, what? she's like thoroughbreds. What's that? Thoroughbreds. Yeah. Great. First of all, you can't, I mean, you know, she she's playing like a high school girl in each room. And I think in Thoroughbred, she actually was like a high school girl, maybe. I mean, the eyes are so big and brown and questioning. First of all, she kind of has a face that looks familiar, like you've seen this face before, but maybe mm -hmm. you haven't. I don't know. And so when I first saw her in Thoroughbred, like I could have sworn like I knew, like I, maybe I thought she was Thor Birch or somebody, but like she'd seem familiar to me. And second mm -hmm. of all, those, I mean, Especially for someone whose roots are in modeling, I guess. Like, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe she didn't take some like some legit acting courses, whatever. But she's so expressive with those eyes and, and her and her face and those features and stuff. That she's really good at kind of like holding your attention. And and for me, I mean, 
so stupid, but I've always had things since I was like a kid for redhead. So I was in heaven during the entire <laughs> run of the Queen's Gambit, just red hair mm -hmm. everywhere. I mean, she just really kind of holds, you know, the your attention in the camera. Yeah. And so put her in a costume drama like Emma, where her character by design is allowed to be sly, subversive, witty, you know, all these things that kind of play into, you know, such an expressive face and those big expressive eyes of hers that we mm -hmm. got to see a lot in the in the Queen's Gambit. Yeah. Well, and this movie is directed, um, this is Autumn DeWilde's first film. And Autumn DeWilde has been um, a fashion photographer. This is her first movie she's ever made. She's been a very, like, well-known fashion photographer for, like, kind of, she's done a lot of things with brands like Rodarte, who are, like, a little bit more, like, new school, like, kind of um, do different things and, like, a lot of the older brands and stuff like that. And she's worked a lot with musicians. Like, I think she's done, like, a bunch of album covers and stuff like that. So, like, the way that she framed this film is very much from, like, a fashion photography, like, lens, kind of. So it was just, I was, I was very, like, surprised. And also when I saw this movie, I forgot um, that it's Clueless. <laughs> I was, like, halfway through. I saw this movie with my mom and... Um, I like poked her and I was like, oh, right, this movie is the same as Clueless. And she was just like, what? <laughs> I was like, yes, it's true. And that's the best time when your mom says, no, Clueless is the same as Emma. <laughs> yeah. But no, yeah. it's true. It's, uh, they're, Clueless was inspired by Emma. And that, another, you know, another great, that's another great costuming movie. Now I think about it. I have that on my list too. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's another, you know, honorable mention. That, that was, that's another mm -hmm. good uh, fashion one. Uh, Stacy Dash before she went to the the dark side. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's good yeah. stuff. And this, yeah, wow. You know, I'm I'm surprised I didn't notice it when I watch it. But you're absolutely right. This is an incredible, incredible fashion movie. And then these actors too. It's like I've seen them all over the place now. Like this Callum Turner guy. He was in that um, another Brit Fishing show. The one with about surveillance cameras and stuff. Oh, what's the name of it? Um, I gotta I gotta bring it up for you. He was really good in that. He's very kind of tall. Uh, imposed the capture. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. I didn't watch that one. Check that out if you haven't seen it. In and out, six episodes, Brit nice. Fisher style. You know, very, very complex. Very, yeah, yeah. He's he's a, he's a very solid actor. Definitely, definitely see more of his stuff. Excellent choice. My last one is super obvious for anyone who knows me. <clears throat> All together now. Boomerang. That's right, boys and girls. It's Boomerang. I mean, I've girl, never even heard of this movie. <laughs> you mean before now or before you knew? Wait, me? No, yes, I have. I have. Okay. I've never seen it though. Uh, I, I mean, I was about to. I was about to end this podcast. No, I, I recognize. I recognize that from like the the video rental store. <laughs> this thing. I mean, well, first of all, get the to see Boomerang. You're welcome in advance. This is Eddie Murphy at his peak. 28 years old, just top of his game. He's stylish. He's fashionable. He's got money. It's it's his vision, of, especially for 1992. Yeah, 92. That's right. I was junior in, in, in high school. 1992, when this sucker came out, not a lot of role modeling for, for black men out there or for black people, honestly, in in you know upper middle class positions of power. This whole movie is black, black, blackity black, and I loved it. It was great. <laughs> got to see us in positions of power, doing our thing. I mean, in any movie that that can make mostly through costuming, mind you, Halle Berry look busted in comparison to Robin Gibbons. That oh. costumer, that costume designer deserves a freaking Oscar. <laughs> she goes, I mean, first, I mean, first of all, Robin Gibbons peak. Robin Gibbons. I'm not sure if you actually listen yeah. to the the uh, the Rewatchables podcast on Boomerang because this is actually one of Bill Simmons' favorite, you know, uh, movies, mind you. And yeah. if you haven't watched Boomerang, then go listen to, to the Rewatchables. You sure. will love. Sure. Yeah. I think he has Van Lathan on there as well. It's, 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 a, it's a good time. <clears throat> anyway, she's, yeah, it's clearly been decided that this was like her apex mountain <laughs> in her career. She's never been hotter, never been sexier, never been more devious and sly. And then in the second half of the movie, Hallie starts coming around. She looks great. And all the clothes, the production design, like Marcus Graham is just the ultimate player living a, not, a very 90s player, New York skyscraper, you know, lifestyle. And, and he is, he's a, he's a, the, I think he's, I think his official term is like marketing director of, a, of an advertising agency. And everything about him and his lifestyle is just slick as hell. His costumes are great. And then you got Grace. Oh, great Jones. Then you got Stranger. So if you're like, here, here we go, or type Stranger, Stranger, it's because of Boomerang and 
this woman in her wild ass costumes and outfits. I love her so much. You, then you have you must watch Boomerang. Yeah. Before we speak again, Emily, you must watch Boomerang. I mean, just everything about it is just it's just beautiful, and the costumes are top notch. I'm gonna try and watch it tonight. <laughs> oh, you honestly you should. And if you have trouble finding it, you know, hit me up. I got I got a link for you. It's straight up. Okay. I, I I own it, so I would definitely share it with you my Dropbox. It's great. Cool. Thank you. Pete, Layla, Rashawn. Oh, oh man. I, I just, I, I mean, first of all, I know this movie backwards and forwards. Me and a previous uh, guest in the podcast about a mm, month ago, Ife, uh, like we'll, we'll, you know, text each other about two, three times a year, like, hey, I just watched Boomerang. I'd be like, Tranche, Tranche. So good. Layla, Rashawn. Oh, everyone, everyone's just so young, full of life and dressed to the nines. So, okay. Boomerang. Fantastic. Sean Quay, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> a little Borat for you. All right, someone who definitely has zero fashion sense. All right, so. <laughs> movie somehow. What's that? I've never seen either Borat movie. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, I've got to get on it. Aren't, aren't you in for a treat? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, honestly, I feel bad for you because now you live in a you live in an era, we all, we all live in an era where, I mean, Truth is is wilder and, and funny, sad, tragic comic more than fiction. But back in 2006, when Borat came out, it is the single, the probably the, one of the single most visceral experiences I've had in a movie theater. I literally laughed till I had until my abs hurt. It was it was like an ab workout. It was nuts. So yeah, Borat is something else. You should definitely watch him back to back if you get the chance. You might, you. Know, yeah. I mean, it, I don't know. If, I don't know how it holds up, but the fact that nobody knew who this guy was, and this is how Sasha Baron Cohen really kind of made his name by playing oh, Ali, Ali G and then and Borat. I mean, it's just it's so good, so good. All right, well, once again, there we go. Show no segues. All right, so we're going to take a pause for the cause to explain to everyone about the draft stream game, how it's played, and how you can get involved. We'll be back right after. Movie theaters are on hiatus, but we here at Cinema Draft are not. DraftStream is the streaming content version of the Cinema Draft game you know and love. Just like with Cinema Draft, you have a $100,000 salary cap for a 10-actor call sheet. No more, no less. But in this one, you have to have at least one of three types of actors for your 10-actor call sheet. Headliner, co-star, day player. Scoring is based on a weighted average of Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic scores plus audience and user scores. Headliners get a 40% bonus while co-stars receive a 20% bonus over day player points. There's a weekly minimum $50 prize pool shared by the top two non-Cinema Draft employee call sheets. Or you can go low. Cinema Draft offers a minimum $10 lowball bonus to the lowest scoring call sheet of the week. To qualify, your call sheet must spend at least $75,000 of your budget, use at least one actor from three separate titles in the talent pool, and, of course, roster at least one headliner, co-star, and day player to your 10-actor call sheet. The game runs from Thursday evening to Monday afternoon with daily updates on Saturday and Sunday before final scoring after Monday, 12 p.m. Pacific time. Currently, we are alpha testing DraftStream in a rudimentary spreadsheet-based format while we work on adapting it for digital play. Tweaks happen almost weekly due to player feedback. We really need the data, so please help us out and play the game. A link to the most current talent pool is included in the podcast description. Please review the rules tab and submit your call sheet by Thursday, 6 p.m. Pacific time. Thanks again for your help and good luck. And we're back. All right. So last week's quarantine movie of the week was on the record. Probably not the cheeriest movie of the week we've had before, but a necessary one, one you should definitely take a look at about, you know, the sexual abuse in, and, and discrimination in the record industry, especially from the point of view of one Drew Dixon, 
kind of sad, but also necessary to know about, you know, kill your heroes, people we thought were heroes, especially back in the 80s and 90s. Some really bad, bad, bad men in there. But our movie of the week this week, a lot more fun and and entertaining. And it's Palm Springs. It's that. So Andy, great. Yeah, Andy Samberg, Kristen Milioti star. I assume you're familiar with Palm Springs. Loved it. I, yeah, I think I watched it like the day it came out and I was just smiling most, like pretty much the whole time. It's yeah, so you fun. Guys, you guys definitely topped up in Slack. I was going to watch it regardless, but you guys definitely helped push it up mm-hmm. on the list. And also like the, I think when we had our Thursday, uh, when we had the Thursday game lock, uh, the initial scores for it were really high. So I'm like, Palm Springs, like kind of flew under my radar. So I had, definitely had to check it out. And basically it's about a guy named Niles who finds his daily routine interrupted when a saucy little intruder into his life named Sarah stumbles into his recycled world, one in which he's been reliving the same day every time he wakes up. So it's like a kind of romantic, a really truly rom-com-ish version of Groundhog's Day. So definitely y'all check it out and tweet me your tweet-length review at our Twitter account, at Play Cinema Draft, and maybe we'll interact and retweet some of your thoughts. All right, so we are going on to our draft stream update. I'll try to keep it brief since you do not play the game. Of course, right. you always no. Of course, you're always willing to play the game. We have we'll have links in the in the description for this podcast to join this week's game. It is free to play. We have a hundred dollar prize pool every week. Fifty dollars to first, twenty five dollars a second, ten dollars a third, plus a fifteen dollar low ball bonus. Where if you get the lowest scoring call sheet on purpose mind that you meet certain requirements you get a 15 uh payout as well and we've actually had some more brancy slackers you know win some money namely henner yyz aka henry gomes rhymes with homes and lil stevie <laughs> steph lava steph torres love her uh, fan favorite so this is what happened last week in the game once again Gamble 24x7, the homie, G24, won again, took first and second for $75 uh, total. He is not only our all-time Cinema Draft money leader, he's also now our all-time Draft Stream money leader. Between the two games, he has cleared easily $3,200, $3,300 in playing a free game over the course of a year's time. Good job, G24. He's he's good. He's a poker player by trade. He's absolutely good. He has game theory down on lock. Yours truly came in third. You know, no small feat. Had white noise actually registered a goddamn Google user score. I might actually win this piece, but I got third. And then fourth place, aka third place money, goes to Jay Bird, who is second in the all-time draft stream money winning list. And mostly, as you can see, our top title this week actually turned out to be. Our girl, the Queen's Gambit, mm-hmm. 119.55 points. Very unexpected. In the talent pool, I think we only had it around, what, nine grand for Anya Taylor-Joy in our $100,000 budget. So super cheap, excellent value. Yeah, 9300 for Anya Taylor-Joy. Very cheap, super value if you had her on your call sheets. And at 119.55 points, that is actually the third highest scoring title in cinema draft or stream history just after the last dance 124.15 and hamilton 121 Mm -hmm. for so if a perfect score is 130 this is doing some big things came in totally on the radar congrats to the queen's gambit and atj this week however let's get it up right here 25 new ones everything from american housewife all the way down to Oh, Sarah Cooper, uh, Truth Seekers. And some of the highlights include Sarah Cooper's Everything's Fine. This looks like it's going to be interesting. Actually, I think that might be my third monitor experience this weekend uh, while I'm working on the game for you all. I believe she's at, what, 12,000? Yeah, there we go. 12,400 can get you Sarah Cooper. 12,000 even get you Helen Mirren. She has a bevy of cameos in this Netflix special. I think this could be some hidden value here. Early reviews are in and people are loving it. Wait, uh, Helen Helen Mirren's in the Sarah Cooper thing? Helen Mirren, John Hamm, oh, wow. Stiller, Maya Rudolph, Megan the Stallion. Oh, okay. I, I'm not too familiar with Sarah Cooper. Like I've seen her stuff on like TikTok a little bit, but 
I will definitely watch this now because, you know, can't say no to Helen Mirren. And that's, <laughs> that's the great thing about playing the game, draft stream every week. It's total title discovery. You find a new show or movie that you didn't know you wanted to watch. I honestly had no idea about the Queen's Gambit until I started doing my research for the talent pool for, for last week. And because it was scoring so high out the box, I'm like, all right, let me give this sucker a shot. And I got mm. sucked in. I got sucked in. <laughs> how, how do you hear about the Queen's Gambit while we're um probably i read a lot of like things like i don't know the av club and like a lot of reading on reddit and stuff and just heard about it that way i probably saw a trailer or something like that and then i looked at netflix and said sure let's watch this i watch a lot so like if it's if it exists i've like probably heard of it and started watching it at least a little bit so <laughs> Amen. You know, honestly, I'm kind of the same way. One, it's a professional responsibility to an extent, but also two, it is you know my natural interest to the point where the people in our in our cinema draft group chat, which is open to all, uh, one of the guys in there, Henry G, not our Henry G, different Henry G, calls me. Uh, yeah, we've got two Henry Gs in the game who play regularly, if you can imagine that. Uh, Henry G calls me E. Loris, as in Dolores from Westworld, but Eduardo, so E. Loris, because I'm watching everything, you know. <laughs> Right, Nick. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, you know, right? I like it. I love it because it's true. Uh, another one, the highest scoring title this week actually is going to go to, oh, it's off the top of my head. What is it? Is This Is Us is actually up there. That one, I believe, yeah, 16500 Pretty pricey to get you Mandy Moore or Milo Ventimiglia. And the way our game works, uh, real quick, Emily, is that you have a $100,000 budget to fill 10 actor slots on your call sheet. No more, no less. You must uh, have at least one actor of each of the three different actor types, one headliner, one co-star, and one day player. Headliners get 40% bonus points. Co-stars get 20% bonus points, and then regular points just for day players. And so there is an emphasis to try to get as many headliners as you can afford in your $100,000 mm -hmm. budget. So, so that's why they're priced up and because they tend to be more worth it. But our number one show this week, of course, is The Mandalorian, and it is mm -hmm. not cheap. Pedro Pascal is going to cost you a fifth of your <laughs> of your budget, twenty thousand two hundred. It's a surefire winner. Yoda cost. What's that? I'm sorry. How much does Baby Yoda cost? Not baby. <laughs> if, if you only had a voice, I could at least have him listed as a voice actor. Um, he doesn't. He's not. He's not in the talent pool. Sorry, LBY. Not the talent pool. <laughs> I, I haven't seen the Mandalorian at all. All I know about it is that Baby Yoda is very adorable. Very and, adorable. Yeah. The cat's out of the bag. He's in all the marketing. The anticipation behind the second season of Mandalorian is super high. So I honestly mm. think this could have, this could make a run at possibly, I don't know if it's going to break the record of, of The Last Dance. I mean, 124 yeah. is pretty fucking high in this game. But yeah. I think this has a shot at 118, 120. So it's going to cost you. You're paying for points, not for value here. 20200 of your hundred thousand dollar budget for Pedro Pascal, nineteen thousand nine hundred for Mando, Carl Weathers. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get that out. I love that. Mando, yeah. have you played draft stream this week, Mando? <laughs> Carl Weathers is just great. Love yeah. that he's doing so well. <laughs> I mean, I, you, I, I just love that guy's career, man. He seems like he's had fun every step of the way, every, everywhere from 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 Apollo Creed to Chubbs. To Mando, the guys having fun. The guys having fun. So this is this is a brief overview of our talent pool this week. And if I wanted to give you a source of possibly hidden value, I would say the Soul of America actually, but HBO documentaries have been notoriously hit or miss in this game. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I think you're probably gonna need some exposure to The Mandalorian. I mean, if you do, if you can afford it, maybe you can slide in a co-star, but a headliner is gonna be super expensive. And then I think you may also, I think a source of hidden value might be Truth Seekers. They're British. It's cheap. It's on Prime. Oh. Titles do pretty well. Horror comedy. Horror gives me a little bit of pause. Horror doesn't have the best track record in this game. But, it, but it's Halloween. Excellent point, Emily. <laughs> Halloween, people might be feeling, you know, a little cooped up since they can't really go out and, and trick or treat. At least they shouldn't be. So oh, I, I just saw Train to Busan uh, Peninsula is on there. I bet that'll actually do surprisingly well too, because it's well, also like a great I, zombie movie. Well, it, it, I'm 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 vaguely aware of of its roots. I definitely do, don't do anything horror or zombies, but it let's it's just say it's priced this low for a reason. There are some it's earlier. 
very, it's really good. Well, I mean, it's 7,500 is kind of low in our spectrum. Min price in the game is 5,000. Uh, 7,500 is pretty on the low end, and some of the earlier reviews are out, and they're not favorable. Now, the cool, oh, really? thing about our game, the cool thing about our game is that we do an aggregated score of both Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic critic scores, and then we also do Google user and IMDb user scores, but we weight the user scores 60% more. So it really Got is it. all about what the audience is like more than, say, you know, the worth critics think because we'll always have, I always try to throw in each week a Hallmark or a Lifetime movie. What's the one this week? Uh, here it is Hallmark, One Royal Holiday. <laughs> <laughs> and these, these things never get covered by critics. If they do, it's always, you know, a pan. But they'll, but if, they're, if they don't get covered by critics or even get a Google user score, there's usually always at least one IMDb user score. And it's usually like a six or a seven something. And that'll totally salvage the movie from obscurity. This one has Aaron Tavet to beat. I don't know how to say his last name. He's pretty popular though. No, I, I like him. I, that's what yeah. I mean. I mean, of the range where I could have salaried this, I mean, I usually put these in maybe in the, in the five thousands range. I mean, it could have gone worse. This act, and I now, now I think about it, this actually could be hidden value because if this follows the normal pattern of maybe seventy five to to 79 points for a Hallmark or Lifetime movie. 6,000 is actually pretty good value in this game for mm -hmm. 79 point score. So those, are your, so those are your marching orders. Make sure everybody, if you're playing this week, to get me your call sheets to cinemadraft at gmail.com. Three max call sheets per player. Uh, we, once again, the $100 prize pool gets you a shot at winning that sweet money. We're all quarantined, you ain't going out. Might as well do something fun, all right? And we're going to bring this in for a landing. Thanks so much, Emily, for being on the podcast. Give yourself a hand. Thank you. This is fun. Yeah, it's great. Thanks for preparing. Again, <laughs> shout out to you, G-Nice. Uh, <laughs> and as we, as we bring this in for a landing, this is the time of the pod where I ask someone to basically go ahead and plug your ish. So, M, plug your ish. Um, I don't really have much happening like personally lately, but um, can I plug everyone should vote? <laughs> yeah, if you haven't already, just vote, just do it. Or if you want to vote for Trump, don't just you know, <laughs> um, there you go. please vote. And if you vote for Trump, don't vote. There we go. Yeah. Gerrymander yourself. Don't play. Do you, yeah. do you see that in the in the politics lag? Gerrymander your 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 relatives. If you're if you're if yeah. you're your grandma wants to go vote for Trump. Tell her the wrong location for a polling place. Yeah, which is terrible. But anyways, yes, please vote for the right person who will keep our democracy mm -hmm. from crumbling. And that I can't think of a better ish to plug going <laughs> next week's election night hellfire. So yeah. well done. I appreciate it. And actually speaking of next week, we will be back, but on late Wednesday night, early Thursday, instead of our normal Wednesday drop time, because our normal recording time of Tuesday night is election night, and we do not want a repeat of 2016. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm not I'm doing everything opposite what I did in 2016 to unjinx us. All right. We're gonna, we're gonna pull it. <laughs> do it for democracy. All right. So we are going to leave you with that. And thanks everybody for watching. Thanks everybody for playing. We'll be back next week on Wednesday with the with the tripod. G nice. KG, aka the working black writer in Hollywood, with another great top three this time. Top three political movies? Hmm, I think so. We'll be back next week. Thanks everybody for watching. We'll see you next time. Where can you find Cinema Draft? We are on Twitter at Play Cinema Draft, Facebook Cinema Draft, Instagram at Play Cinema Draft, Medium at Cinema Draft. That is our corporate blog. We're even on Pinterest, Cinema Draft. Also subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Music, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts from. And finally, please visit us at cinemadraft.co and sign up for an invite to the relaunch. We will always have games where you can sign up, play for free, and win real money. 
Cinema Draft is a registered mark of Cinema Draft LLC. Both the Cinema Draft game and the CD3D decentralized app token are for entertainment purposes only.